Support for this podcast is provided by Paradox, the conversational AI company helping global talent acquisition teams at Unilever, McDonald's and CVS Health get recruiting work done faster. Let's face it, talent acquisition is full of boring administrative tasks that drag the hiring process down and create frustrating experiences for everyone. Paradox's AI assistant, Olivia, is shaking up that paradigm, automating things like applicant screening, interview scheduling, and candidate Q&A, so recruiters can spend more time with people, not software. Curious how Olivia can work for your team? Then visit paradox.ai to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 517 of the Recruiting Future podcast. For many companies, remote and hybrid working has put a spotlight on compensation and benefit strategies. How do you determine pay levels for the same job across different national and international geographies? And how can you use benefits as a talent magnet when some traditional location-based benefits are no longer as relevant? My guest this week is Anitra St-Hilaire, VP of People at 3Flow. Anitra has considerable experience in this area and shares some very innovative thinking in our conversation. Hi Anitra and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Awesome. So my name is Anitra St. Hilaire. Um, I am the Vice President of People at 3Flow. We're a benefits placement system, uh, internet technology related to healthcare and insurance. Uh, I've been doing HR work for many, many years now, uh, but my background's in finance. That's where I, I started out working as an internal auditor for Procter & Gamble, got my MBA, and then hopped into the world of HR, and I've been doing that ever since. Fantastic. And how, and how do you find the world of HR compared to the world of finance? Oh, <laughs> very different. Um, when I was working in finance, you know, I think there's some similarities in terms of like data focus, particularly as uh, we've moved through time. But I really enjoy the ability to focus on values and people versus focusing on focusing on the numbers. I'm decent with the numbers, but there's something about really using the lens of the values of an organization, what's going to be right for the org through the lens of the people, uh, as opposed to sort of looking at the numbers, not to say that finance people don't look at numbers, but it's just a different, a different lens through which they're providing. Absolutely. You know, very complementary skills in a way as well. Obviously at the moment we're going through a very disruptive time when it comes to everything, but particularly around business and particularly uh, around the talent market at the moment, what's your perspective on the talent market? And what are the biggest challenges you think employers are facing? This is such a complicated one because there are so many things happening right now. And what I find to be true, at least for what we're looking at is, first, there are a lot of great people available. And so there's a volume in some ways, not problem, but challenge. Um, there are a lot of people that are out in the market looking. And I think we've 
finally reached a point, which I'm excited about, that looking at someone's background and their story, uh, I think there's a point in time where if you were only at a job for a little while or you were laid off, it was very difficult to say that and tell that story because, okay, this person lost their job. We don't want to look at them. And I think we're finally in a time where we need to understand more about people's stories and we are willing to understand more about people's stories, but it's, it's, I think a new lane in a lot of ways to understand what skills and value people are bringing in ways that just don't fit what we have historically looked at. Tell me the, you know, the jobs you've done. I can tell from your titles, what you've been up to. Uh, I look at your resume and get a story, but I think now what has become a challenge and in a good challenge in a way, because I think it allows us uh, exposure and access to a much more diverse group of people, but understanding someone's story and how this person's story and skills and experience can help move your company forward. And so really understanding when you're looking at your scorecard of who you're going to hire, really understanding what competencies and skills you need and figuring out how to find that out in a way that isn't as boilerplate as I need someone who had X years of college and did this kind of job. Now you're looking at I need someone who's really good with people. Well, you can find someone really good with people who's a customer service uh, person or someone who has been working in hospitality, right? It's really identifying the skills and types of experiences in a way that's much more broader, but I think gets at what we need for people nowadays. Did that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And I suppose the other the other aspect of it is with with the remote and hybrid work that's um now the norm for many organizations. You're you're looking at a bigger geographical pool of talent as well, aren't you? Yes, and that has been again exciting because it opens the talent pool up, but it introduces new complications when you're thinking about do I hire internationally? And what does that mean for the culture? What does that mean for compensation? What does that mean for performance management? When you're looking at what this means for uh, even things like vacation and time off, and you're trying to create a culture for your company, having people in different countries creates this different experience for folks. And how do you think about what your overall company culture is like, what it means to be in a different country, for example, or even uh for example, we are largely US-based. Um, as you think about the rules and laws in different countries, and uh, sorry, in different states here in the US, how do you think about what your overall plan is going to be versus how you're going to treat someone in California versus someone in Texas, per se, uh, for example, who may have different, just at the basic level of compliance, not to mention as you grow bigger and as you think more internationally, how those things can differ and and change both your philosophy and how you pay people and how you evaluate folks. And to sort of dig into that a little bit further, really interested to get your thoughts on how you handle compensation when it comes to hiring talent all over the world. Because, you know, I've seen sort of lots of debates about it, lots of things that, that companies might be trying, but nothing kind of really con- conclusive. What's what's your take on on handling, handling that in a, in a way that works for everyone? This is such a tough one and one that we are continuing to talk about where I am now. When, when I think about compensation, and actually, as I think about most things, it starts to me with what is our 
philosophy around this? What are our guiding principles? Generally speaking, this is Anitra's thoughts. Uh, generally speaking, I think if you can be true to whatever that guiding principle is, then building your policies and processes on that. For example, if you are comfortable saying for your particular organization that this role can be hired, anyone can do this. I don't care about where you are. It's a remote role. As long as you're sitting in your seat and doing work, we could think about a national strategy and we're anyone can do this job from anywhere. So we're going to pay you nationally. Um, that's great, except there's a cost associated with that because we know that the cost of labor in different geographical markets is different. And so there's a world where maybe you could be, forgive the phrase, but overpaying for a role that you have if you have a national strategy. If you move to a geographic strategy, that's great. But what happens is, what are you going to do when that person moves? And are you going to move their salary with them? And of course, if they're moving from a lower tier to a higher tier, great, that's amazing. But what happens when they move from San Francisco to Des Moines? Are you going to change their salary? And I think both of those models work, a national strategy, a geographic-based strategy. It's the transparency around that. What does this mean for folks uh, as you're talking to them? And are you transparent? Hey, if you move, there are going to be consequences. And then sort of playing it out. And that's the point about moving. If you have a strategy that's geographic-based, then you have to go full in, all, all in on that and say, yeah, if you're moving to a lower-based area, a lower-tiered area, we're going to have to change your salary. And I think most people, if they understand your philosophy and your strategy, then they can make informed decisions about whether this works for them. But I think where it's become really challenging is that's not typically or historically how we would like to think about compensation. I get paid a certain amount. And as I grow in the organization, you don't care where I move, I'll just get a different job. But now that remote has come more into play, I really think the labor market is becoming a lot bigger. And so we need to think about from a philosophical standpoint, what are we going for? And then put our policies behind our, our principles. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it's kind of another it's an example of, you know, something that's, that's come out of the pandemic, that's come out of very quick change. And in lots of ways, we're kind of running to catch up with how this works in the long term. I suppose the other thing is that traditionally, employers have used benefits as a way of standing out in, in the market, particularly where it's difficult to to hire talent. You know, some of those traditional differentiators have been things like, office space or dress codes or food or, you know, things that are very much of, you know, of a specific place of work. In the hybrid world that we're, we're working, that's obviously not relevant anymore. So how, you know, not, not as relevant as it was. So, I mean, how can employers use benefits to stand out in the market now? I, I love this question. And I first would start out by saying one of the best ways to do that, in my humble opinion, is thinking about what your philosophy is and how you approach benefits in general. And the reason I say that is it's very helpful for today's employee to understand why you're offering the benefits that you offer. A lot of companies have this standard set of things that they expect that they're going to give their employees and the employees sort of expect that they get. But I think one way to differentiate is to be really thoughtful instead of all right, here's this standard package and I know I need to be competitive, which is important. I'm not knocking that. But 
here's what's important from a values perspective for us. And not in this paternalistic way, but as a company, we want to be solvent. So we want to make sure that we're offering benefits that are fiscally responsible. We want to make sure that we can think about the Uh, diversity within our staff. We have people in very different stages of life with very different needs. And we want to try and give as much flexibility for that group while understanding there is some consistency that needs to be provided. One of our philosophies is we believe that it's important to have a basic safety net of insurance so that in catastrophic events, people are going to be able to be covered. And so that's one of the reasons that we think it's important that we have medical care and, and dental and vision. And yes, those are gimmies, but I think that extra level of thought and being able to articulate that to people is really helpful for having, um, to give you that edge. I, I can tell the story about why we have the benefits we have and why we don't have other benefits and being able to tell that story and articulate it, I think has helped us in cases where someone has said, well, you don't have this. No, we don't, but here's, here's why. And here's why it's something we're thinking about in the future, or here is something we do have, or we're saving that money in this way. So you can make that choice yourself, et cetera. Uh, I think the other thing about benefits packages that's really important to consider is what do your employees want, your population? I mentioned that we have a relatively diverse population uh, at all different stages of life and people who are looking for different things. And I know that because we asked our, our organization, we did a survey and asked people what they were looking for, what was of most need to them. And based on that survey, we understood people really had uh, a desire for a lot more work from home benefits. Uh, the number one thing was a 401k match, which we're not providing at this time. But what it allowed me to say was, this is something I know most people want. We want it as well. There's going to be a point where we have that. And here's why we don't have it now. And I was really surprised at the amount of feedback we received from the team saying, okay, I get it. And while I don't get everything that I may want in this moment, I think there's a level of appreciation for transparency. And so the question you're asking, how can how can employers stand out? I think it's really in the ways that you stand out as an employer brand, when you think about your values and what it means to work here, taking that same time to think about who you are from a as a benefits provider to your employees and telling that story, that story in and of itself can help you stand out because I think it shows uh, trust in your organization. There's transparency that helps uh, accountability. These are the things you say you're going to do. These are the things you say that you're um, interested in and that you stand behind. And I think people really do appreciate it. Just to dig into that a little bit, a little bit deeper around that values piece. What do you mean in terms of that, in terms of sort of aligning benefits with, with, with company, company values? What does that, what does that kind of mean in practice? Sure. So I'll give you a maybe small specific example and and something larger. So the small specific example, one of our values is grow together. Uh, We believe strongly that we want to get better professionally, personally uh, in our roles. And that is a stated value for, for the company. And so with that, we knew one of the things that we felt strongly that we needed to offer was a learning and development stipend. Um, And so with that, it's There are a number of ways we could spend money. We could say no stipend at all. Uh, We could provide some training, which we do in certain areas. But the idea here was really 
our, our values, we think it's really important for people to learn and develop. And so we want to make sure we have a benefit that encourages that, that helps people actively take charge of their own development. And we don't have uh, unlimited funds. Uh, we are a startup. And so we don't have like a LinkedIn learning platform or something like that where people can take all the courses they want. But we did want to make sure that we made an investment and it was important for us to make an investment based on values, values alone. I think the second more a broad piece of that is as we were thinking about our benefits philosophy, when we thought about things like, do we want to cater very heavily to the masses, meaning you can lean towards making sure most people have access to most things, or do we want to provide some more specific benefits to populations that are going to have a harder time getting those benefits elsewhere? There are costs decisions with that. But from a values perspective, as we think about what work with respect, another one of our values means to our organization and uh, collaborating enthusiastically, another value, but that ability for people to sort of do their best work and do their best work together. We found that we really wanted to provide something in the middle of that spectrum I just named. So we do have um, healthcare for all medical, dental, and vision, but we also provide... <clears throat> excuse me, things like parental leave. That is a specific pr provision for a specific group of people. Not everyone's going to use it, uh, but we think it's important. Parents are going to have a hard time replicating that elsewhere. Whereas something like free lunch, and I don't mean to make it simple, but that's just the first thing that came into my mind. Uh, what people want to eat, how people eat is something that uh, I could have provided to everyone, DoorDash memberships or cards, but the money that I could spend on that, I've decided to spend on a more nuanced particular population uh, that won't. It, it is much more important for us to take care of both our parents uh, and our overall population than focusing it just on things that everyone can have. And I suppose leading on from that, how important a role do benefits play in retention? I think they're incredibly important. Uh, but the hesitation you're hearing in my voice is, I think the better companies are at being able to tell a total story of the value of working at a place, the better you are at that, the easier it is to retain people that are willing to be retained by that story. So I'll go back to 401k match as an, as an example. I, I know we have a lot of people here uh, who have come from bigger companies that offer that. And in a lot of places, you know, it's, it's table stakes and we don't have it. And that could be a big issue for us. However, I think when we talk about this full story of here is what you get here, and we don't have this and we hope to have it at some point, people are willing for their own, to, to, they're willing to make, and they have the information to make their own uh, calculations on whether this is something that works for them or not. I, I think there are some benefits that people might want that we can offer. And if that's a deal breaker, it is a deal breaker. And I, I can't do anything about that. But when I think about benefits and retention, there is some core set of things. And that's where I go back to catastrophic events. We want to make sure people have some outs. Core set of things that are our table stakes. But outside of that, being able to tell that story, and, and you'll hear that as a theme through a lot of what I say, the narrative, the story of, of what we're trying to do, I think can be, it, it's not how much benefits you offer or how many benefits you offer. That's not the piece for retention. It's how do you talk about 
and make those decisions that I think can be a piece that helps retain folks. Awesome. One of the, the the biggest topics in in HR and people at the moment is the the advances in technology that we're that we're seeing happening. What do you think the implications are for for employers, for people, for HR professionals with with some of the technologies that have that have been developed recently? This is a hot topic in a lot of the circles I'm in right now, uh, especially when you talk about things like ChatGPT. But generally speaking, this idea of AI and HR, and I've I've got mixed feelings about it. Uh, I think the ability to do things faster, to um, have the knowledge, and I'll use that in quotes, but the the knowledge of large groups of people pulled into a, a functionality that allows me to find things really quickly. I think can be incredibly amazing. And there's a lot, a lot we can do with the advances in technology. The hesitancy I have is around bias. And it's not to say that we, you know, every, everything has bias. We as humans have bias. And so this is a way to, in in some ways, remove bias from things. But what I fear is without additional actual human oversight and thought, what can happen with a lot of these technology advances is you just stop thinking about it because you, the computer has it, the computer has it, the computer has it. And small things can, the way that computers work, if there's just a little bit of garbage in, a small amount, that's something that's off and it keeps adjusting, that thing that's off a little bit at the start can turn very make a left turn really quick and and be devastating. And so I still think there is a need for, I'll call it human oversight, additional thoughts from others that we don't end up down this path where things that aren't just math, right? A computer to do one plus one equals two all day long. I don't think about it and I shouldn't have to think about it. I just don't think people are that simple. And so when we talk about tech in HR, it's how do we how do we maintain logic and and empathy and thinking about bias and how we avoid bias in these systems? And I think that's going to be the the balance and the and the the challenge over the next few years as we figure out how to take all of this technology and implement it in our everyday lives. And as a final question, sort of pulling everything together, we've talked about the disruption and the the changing nature of the talent market. We've we've talked about how that's affecting philosophy around benefits, and then you know a bit about sort of the development of technology. How does this all come together? What, I mean, what do you hope the future of work will will look like in a few years' time? Oh, I love this. I think I'd start off with a a world of responsible transparency. And what I mean by that is there's so much more access to information. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. Where I think we are going is a place where we are going to be required as employers, as workers at a company to understand more about the places and uh, environments in which we work to apply that transparency in smart ways. In other, in other words, it's one thing for me to tell you, 
here's what you make and here's what everyone else makes, right? That's the transparency. But the responsible part of the transparency is also providing the story around why these things are what they are. And as an employee, taking the time to understand the nuances in some of the data. And it's not to make excuses for bad behaviors and, and poor or bad actors. But what it what it does mean is I think there's a much greater responsibility on all of us to be more informed. It's not just the data, but it's the story behind the data that I think everyone has to get better at. So I am looking forward to more responsible transparency. Uh, I do continue to see a world where people are seen for the full value of what they bring to the table. And we are becoming more than just what our resume says. And I, I love that. And it doesn't mean everyone has to bring all of their personal stuff to work, but it does mean that I can have spent time doing non-traditional things and still be seen as a viable full candidate because I know those non-traditional things have given me a set of skills and experience that someone may use in a more traditional kind of job. So again, that looking at a full human uh, and the, our ability to do that uh, I think is going to be pretty exciting. And then maybe as a last thing, I, I do think we're going to move more to a world where we're able to pick and choose more of what we want out of work. And so, you know, I've been working remotely now for a very long time. I was one of the pre-COVID uh, work from home folks. And at the time before then, just saying I had a remote job, I could get a lot of people to come apply because there weren't that many places that had remote and were living remote. But I think now that we see more hybrid places and then there are places that are fully remote and then places that are fully in office, uh, this idea of choice and flexibility, if I am a person who really thrives in a work from home environment, I have that ability to go do that now. Uh, or if I'm a person who needs to be in office and get work done, there are a lot of places where I can still have that experience. And I think that just trickles down over time, uh, where we're going to find for employees a lot of choice in where we go and for employers, more resources to work in these different kinds of flexible ways. Uh, and for me, that feels truly exciting, though. I, I don't think I'll ever go back to the office. Uh, I've been holding on to that for the past 10 plus years, and I'm sticking with it. I don't think I'm ever going back in an office. But I love that that's okay for me. And for my daughter, who may at some point decide that she loves working with people and wants to be in person, will have the ability to do that as well. Anitra, thank you very much for talking to me. This has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. My thanks to Anitra. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. <laughs> Thank you.